you hear his voice every week on WT Fada. But now you can take a little bit of him home with you. That's right. Simply go to L-I-N-K-T-R dot E-E slash A-W-E dot comics and you'll find links to all of Mr. Ryan Alves' magnificent work. Everything from his bubblegum maelstroms to his mustache Batmans uh, and beyond. Uh, go check it out. Go pick yourself up a couple of books. Hey, jump ahead about 22 to 23 minutes into this episode to skip the off topic and get right to the show. Thank you. Tons. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to WT Fada. This is episode 137, and I am Ron, and I'm joined here, as always, by Mr. Ryan Alves. Hey. How you doing? Pretty good, talking from behind a cat. Um, yeah, there is a cat in between the microphone and Alps. Is it? Is it still picking it up okay? Yes, it's totally picking it up okay, despite your cat's best attempts to stop the show. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> uh, yeah, it goes pretty good. I just finished my, my bootleg the other day. Mm-hmm. And I'll start doing hopefully some rollout for that over the next few weeks. Cool. Um, I got invited to the summer session of the residency that I went to in Columbus mm-hmm. after, you know, a couple of weeks of like, you know, thinking they didn't like me or something. So they like didn't invite me back. And uh, uh, yeah, and I've been working like 18 hours a day for the last. 30 hours or so or two days or so and like mm. i'm uh i don't know i i feel insane but uh i'm cruising you know that's good i'm glad that yeah, you're that you're surviving <laughs> yeah somehow it's like if i'm sleep deprived and uh, just like generally fatigued mm-hmm. my like anxieties can't quite exist as persistently as they do I guess because like I just don't even have the energy for it and it's just mm. like, oh, mm. I wish I could think about anything besides how tired I am and like how I like to just <sighs> lie down on this floor I'm standing on and take a little nap it's uh, like a golden little like there's a space that you can exist in and it's like it it's when you first start not being able to think about that stuff because you're tired but then if you continue to get more tired that stuff turns into the only stuff you can think about (laughs) yeah and you're exhausted so it's like you have to like manage that you know there's got to be like one 12 hour sleep session you know at some point yeah. Remedy the tiredness. Right? Yeah. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it's like the perfect uh, perfect food service brain because like I'm not having any existential dread mm-hmm. about like you know my career or mm-hmm. like my life choices, mm-hmm. like etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera, when you're working a dead end job with 
just too much time on your hands or whatever. Not even too much time, just time. Yeah. And a place that isn't paying you enough to survive, et cetera, et cetera. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, uh, yeah, it just like, I can just interact with one person at a time and I can like do everything except for operate machinery, you know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Which I mean, how often do you do? I mean, is it? I mean, I work at a square, you know, for like sales, bread pastries and shit. Like yeah. that's about like the most concentration that I have to like exert. Yeah. The, the likelihood of you, you know, running over a pedestrian while operating <laughs> a square low, you know, yeah, exactly. not zero, but low, you know, yes. um, no, that's, that's totally reasonable. Um, I, uh, this week I, I watched, um, Space Cop, which is a feature length film by the guys from Red Letter Media. And, uh, <laughs> I, I what, what's that? Is it awesome? It is pretty awesome. Um, there was a, uh, there was one use of a of a slur that I was like, "Oh Jesus!" because it was like, "Ah, you know, don't do that." You know, um, it's amazing to like look back in just a couple of years at how much distance it's gotten in terms of like, you know, people being more aware and more sensitive to these things, you know. And then you watch it and you're like, oh, God, man, wish you had edited that out, you know. Um, yeah. Could have gotten to the same place without using it. Uh, that being said, the rest of the movie is pretty awesome. There's a couple of fun, like, inside jokes for people that watch a lot of Red Letter Media. Um, like Jay, uh, Jay Bauman, uh, who's on, you know, all of those shows that they have on that channel on YouTube. Um, he's kind of short and, uh, he plays a criminal suspect and they have his like picture up on a whiteboard and underneath of it, they don't call any attention to it, but it just says, um, uh, it says approximate height, four foot nine. And then underneath of that, it says maybe a child in fake beard and adult clothes. Um, <laughs> and I thought that was kind of like a fun little detail. Um, but yeah, no, it's, it's pretty ridiculous. Um, and I did enjoy it. So there's that. Um, and then the only other thing going on with me is I did dust off, uh, a comic that I had been working on right when, uh, my life went down the shitter. And I didn't want to work on it anymore. Um, so now I'm starting to work on it again. So that's cool. Nice. Yeah. I uh, I reread the script and immediately noticed something that I was like, oh, you know what? I it, This doesn't play right because of this reason. I was able to like identify it really easily. Um, and it's a very simple fix that's just going to be 
basically all the actions can be entirely the same. I just have to adjust some of the internal dialogue that the character has. And I think it'll be fine, which is cool. Um, it's really interesting though, getting that much space from something that you're working on. And then when you go back and you can immediately identify a problem and then almost immediately fix it too. Whereas when I was working on it before, I was like, this is great. I know exactly what I'm doing, you know, and you're too close to see any of that stuff. So, um, pretty cool. Um, yeah. That's awesome. How, uh, how long is it? <clears throat> the first issue is like 45 pages. Um, they're already penciled and inked. Um, and then, what? yeah, that's how far I was. I had, I had finished the first what? issue. Yeah. <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> Did you ever print it? No, no, because Why? I, because it's, you need the second and third parts for it to make any sense. You know what I mean? So for me, it was like, oh, I could release it now. And then I'm like, when will I ever get the second one done? Who knows? That's... My girlfriend left and now I'm not going to work on it for three years. I was like, this is a bad idea, you know? <laughs> so I just kind of sat on it. My plan is to basically get all three of the books done. And then I'll figure out how to release and all that stuff. But yeah, the first issue is like 40 something pages. Um, and the, I don't know what the second one will be, but I'm already six pages deep into that. Um, but it's a three issue series? Like, yeah, yeah. Nice. Um, but, yeah. Pretty much a one and done story. Um, and yeah, I feel good about it. And I feel like it's not normal, I guess is what I would say. Like, I, I feel like it's original. That's what I'll say. It's like, I, I haven't seen that story anywhere. And as a first issue, um, that first issue sets up the conflict, I think, in a really interesting, fun way and presents like a pretty good dramatic hook that probably will make people want to read on, which is cool. Um, but yeah, pretty excited about it. Um, that and very very gingerly starting to try to figure out um this horror uh basically meant to be like an anthology um sort of thing that i had worked on a long time ago with somebody else um and then it kind of fizzled out and now i'm pretty much just rebranding it um and going from there but i um yeah, I think uh, some of the same anxieties that you've had in the past about some of your, like, we both really enjoy working on things that aren't ours um, and, like, kind of bootlegs are fucking fun. They're so much fun. Uh, so I was sort of thinking about that, you know, most of the things that I've had that have been you know, more successful have been things that aren't my original ideas and stuff. So trying to like go back through and figure out what do I have that I can put out there and um, that I think people will respond to um, or at least that I know I respond to. Hopefully other people yeah. will, you know, 
Well, and just having having a you know a frame of reference because like right. half of it is just making it, putting it out there and being like, oh, this is how I felt about it, but like, mm-hmm. you know, what does everybody else think? Because it could be totally totally different. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah, bootlegs oh. are fun, but you gotta. Uh, I, I had to do mustache before I could do any other comic, and like I got three pages in before I put that thing on the back burner for two years and made other comics and like got back around to it. But like, you know, it's just about I don't know. For me, it's just scratching those itches, you know, yeah. as yeah. as much as you can. And they're, you know, they're valuable as learning tools. You know, it's yeah. like. For me, it's like at the end of the day, it's cool. You get a bootleg comic, but also all those things that you learned making that the best that you could then get applied to anything else that you want to do that's original. And you start asking the same type of deeper questions about character motivations, you know, and and it all feeds, you know, into itself. And I think that is valuable. Well, it's Um, like, uh, what is it? Picasso or Van Gogh or something, but it's like uh, style is just the difference between the perfect circle and how you draw it. Oh. And like bootlegs are just you drawing that quote unquote perfect circle. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. And like there's so much like learning that can be done there just with like, you know getting a chance to kind of formally recognize your own style just based off of you know what in your mind's eye is like the house style of a character or something like that and uh yeah I don't know. it's great they're awesome yeah and, uh, they're a great stepping stone to you know bigger and better weirder deeper things yeah yeah um so, I don't know. I was like sort of keeping track of some things. Uh, I just wanted to follow the Batman and see how it performed. And here's something weird so it dropped 50% in ticket sales the second week. But what's weird about that is that normally these big blockbuster movies drop like high 50%, low 60% in the second weekend. So 58 to like 63% drop in ticket sales. This one beat that estimate. Doesn't have any real competition for the month of March. Uh, The only competition it has is when Morbius comes out in April. So pretty much... (laughs) And that'll be a one-week wonder, like Garrett. But by the time the word gets out on... No, you know what, though? Audiences don't necessarily respond to what's great, you know, or what's good. Because look at, like, something like Suicide Squad. Suicide Squad came out, and it was, it did $800 million, $800 million plus at the box office. So it's like, I can't tell. What's that? The Joker and Harley Quinn were in it. True. It was just like all those, all those kids. 
Right. You know? And they're probably those like teenagers now that like grew up with like the Bruce Tim Harley <sighs> stuff that like uh, I guess Hot Topic probably isn't right. Anymore, but... Yeah. Yeah. I mean, just... it's it's tough. It's tough because I just feel like I can't. I I no longer have an accurate gauge of what's going to work and what won't. I I've completely lost touch with modern mainstream audiences. I don't know why they go see Fast and the Furious movies. I don't get it. Dude, I'm do. not going to. <laughs> it's ne- it's never going to be. It's like when Transformers I mean, started making like each one of the Transformers movies made more money than the last, and I was like. What? Who are these people that are watching this fucking movie? Like, who are they? You know, where do Dude, they come from? What's wrong? Like, with them? I wish I could watch like a Batman movie the way I watch Fast and Furious movies. Just like not thinking about anything that's happening. <laughs> exactly. And just having a fucking dumb good time. It's like, wow, look at that car. Look at that car fly and be a submarine and like tow a tank or whatever. You don't like, understand. It'll never happen because Batman is a high art character. You know, <laughs> it's a thinking man's action hero. And you can't have that type of experience with Batman. It's just, it's high art, you know? Um, <laughs> no, I mean, I just, I, I just look at the movies that make insane amounts of money and i'm like you people have no taste anymore you just want like this a big cgi fucking spectacle and it's just strange but uh you know the 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 batman dropping 50 percent. i was thinking about what the reasons are number one is no competition number two is how fucking long the movie is i imagine that people that wanted to go that first weekend probably couldn't because there were less shows than there would have been for something that was two hours long right so you're probably having a lot of people that are like oh man i really intend to see that i just haven't been able to get in the doors you know um so i think it'll have a healthy box office like the next two weeks but i don't actually think it will make as much i don't i don't think it, i don't expect it to make that much money if that makes sense like i think probably this is going to be a 700 million which is still great still great it's just not like remember when batman v superman came out it made 800 million and everybody was like it fucking flopped you know <laughs> it's like what are you talking about? um but I mean, I, I think that that's probably what we're looking at. Some people are like, I really hope that it makes a billion dollars. And I'm like, I don't, I don't think it's going to do that. I really don't. Did don't No Way Home make a billion? Yeah. Yeah. No Way Home, I think, passed Avatar, which is, you know, pretty intense. Yeah. yeah. Hey, man. That's the, that's them Fast and the Stop Furious moviegoers. Berries are a fucking hell of a drug. Yeah, yeah. And Disney's the dealer. Like, they know how to... They're like, oh, you like Buzz Lightyear? Well, guess what? Lightyear's coming out, you know? And you like The Lion King? Here's a live-action-esque version of The Lion King. Yeah, no, they know... The rest of our movies that we, you know, did well when we were animating them. I can't... 
I can't wait for the the live action update of Steamboat Willie. I feel like that'll be. Uh, I can't wait for the live action update of uh, Song of the South. <laughs> That's an even better one. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I want to see, Disney. Yeah. There, okay, I let think, us know how you really feel. I think we're heading in that direction. Like I, I predict maybe 2023 we'll get song of the south we'll get a um birth of a nation reboot um (laughs) (laughs) that's gonna be great (laughs) the first superhero movie finally redone and re-envisioned they haven't done gone with the wind in a long time either what they haven't done gone with the wind in a long time either they could do that as like a bradley cooper vehicle maybe bradley cooper played it (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> got a lot of ideas over here Alves. I, I think we i think we know what we're doing we can steer this ship <laughs> yeah yeah well anyways we should you want to we'll talk about that movie all right yeah, we'll go yeah, to commercial and then we'll talk about the movie all right so uh you know just listen to this and bye no don't buy see you in a minute Alves. Hey. What, what the fuck are we talking about today? Tonight we are talking about prisoners. No, Zoolander. No, I'm sorry. We are talking about nocturnal animals. I totally Noc- forgot what it was called. Nocturnal <laughs> animals. Yes. Um. So I got like a little sneak preview before we started <laughs> recording, and I'm a little bit concerned. Uh. What did you think of Nocturnal Animals? Like it was a perfectly serviceable movie uh, okay. with drama and tension and mm-hmm. violence and plain acting. Uh, <laughs> Jesus and uh, it's it's just like a kind of movie that I like would never watch of my own volition, you know? Right, right, okay. Uh, yeah, but it is by the Zoolander dude who's also like a fashion dude or something and like yeah ben stiller dude. ben stiller uh, <laughs> i wish ben stiller directed this the shit. other guy you're talking about the other guy owen wilson is uh, tom, well, yeah tom ford there he is yeah that's the one yeah uh, yeah yeah i like zoolander i thought that was like super fun and oh, let's talk about a zoolander huge departure but uh <laughs> Yeah, you know, it's, it's like, uh, I don't know, it was hard to watch Jake Gyllenhaal, like, act his way around not doing anything. Uh-huh. Like, as all this stuff is, like, happening to him, it's just like, oh, he's not going to pick up a rock. Nobody else is going to pick up a rock. Yeah. He's, like, are going to be very sensitive. <laughs> and, like, you know, I mean, they're going to obviously, you know, trap him, like, his family or whatever, but, like, just watching uh, Jake Gyllenhaal, I mean, and everybody else really just kind of like act so hard. Mm. Uh, it's just like, I don't know, cringy or something. It's so like, interesting. No, no, honey, they're just third, third. I don't know. Like, yeah, I don't, I don't watch movies like this either. Yeah, like, right. That are out of like, that aren't out of like, 70s or something 
Right, 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 right. Yeah. Like, there's a weird production value that like I can't like invest in, you know, or something. Right. But yeah, yeah, you know, it's like good, a weird revenge movie. Mm -hmm. Michael Shannon's cool, like squaring up with that kid. Uh, yeah he has some great little moments in this like i like when uh it's toward the end of the movie and he's killed one of the guys and jake gyllenhaal was like are you gonna get in trouble for this and he just looks at him he's like "Ah, i don't know and he's like i don't really give a shit i'm dying (laughs) remember you know (laughs) he's just just like so off the cuff uh michael shannon's a fucking treasure he's he's so offbeat and strange you know He's the fucking best, and uh, you know, definitely the the highlight of this mm-hmm. movie. And yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't know. It, uh, yeah, it was just like, okay, that was a movie. Interesting. You know, solid C. It's amazing, like the difference that you can have from person to person, because this is, I has become one of my favorite movies um Ah, (laughs) what's that oh shit (laughs) no no it's okay it's okay um i reason being is that every time i go back to it i pretend i'm watching zoolander and (laughs) i just have such a good time no i'm just kidding (laughs) i uh no i i uh I watch um I watch this movie and it's like this multi-layered revenge tale where you're I think it's I just think there's a there's a little stroke of genius in it, you know. Um and I think watching you know the Susan character that Amy Adams plays which actually I did want to talk about Amy Adams yeah. because there's a thing that exists, which is that Amy Adams is a great actress. And I've largely been like, yeah. But then I was watching this one and I started thinking about like all of the different parts that she's played. And I started realizing that they're all the same woman. And it really started messing with my head where I was like, hold on a second. What the, what do you mean? Like I was trying to think of like, moments where I really saw her stretch out of that and it's like the fighter where she plays a, you know kind of rough and tumble girl from Lowell, Massachusetts so she has Massachusetts accent which is different um, and then I was thinking yeah, also, about, uh, were they supposed to have Texas accents? some of them were I don't think everybody was. Because, I don't know. Like Aaron Taylor Johnson as Ray, I think, had was supposed to have a Texas accent. Well, I mean, I guess specifically Jake Gyllenhaal and Amy Adams, because I feel like Jake Gyllenhaal had a Texas accent during the incident in the beginning. Uh-huh. And when he showed up, like, in the you know, real world or whatever. The flashbacks, yeah. He like didn't really. <clears throat> yeah. Like didn't really like later on. I was just like, yeah. It's not like as obvious all the way through. Um, yeah. 
But yeah, I mean, I. Yeah. Not again. Yeah. But her mom sounded like a southern. Right. Yeah. But it was weird though. Like I like I thought about the fighter with Amy Adams, and I thought about hustle. Uh, hustle um, club. American hustle. Fuck. <laughs> I don't think she was in that one. She <laughs> covered her in paint. She was in a bunch of uh, body paint for that for that role, which is that's right. Know. She was just a speaker. Yeah. Yeah, everybody, everybody. I was gonna say everybody, everybody accidentally miscredits Terrence Howard as the lead in Hustle and Flow. That's Amy Adams. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you ever seen them in the same room together? I'm just <laughs> I, I mean, I have a, th- I, I'm starting to think. No, um, yeah, she's an American hustle, and it felt like she was. <laughs> <laughs> felt like she was doing something a little bit different but like i when you start being like okay she played lois lane she plays this art dealer lady she plays the uh language the linguist in uh arrival um i started going through the list and i'm like they're all these like kind of modern professional women that are pretty even keeled in their speech and don't have very interesting personalities and i started to be like holy fucking shit amy adams just plays the same person in every movie and nobody cares but i mean then i look back and i'm like robert de niro plays the same movie the same character in every movie jack nicholson al pacino so why don't we afford women the same latitude it's okay that amy adams plays uninteresting professional women um totally fine girl just parts Yeah. yeah But, but uh, I I loved the like the way that Tom Ford this is Tom Ford's second movie, which I just want that to to sink after in. Zoolander. I think he's just in Zoolander. Oh fuck! <laughs> yeah, oh, no, no. <laughs> his first movie, his first movie was called uh, a uh, a single man, which actually regretfully I have not seen. But um, yeah, I mean his. I just think he has a very he's really good you know if this movie's any indication at kind of layering the narrative and telling you things in simple moments and for me when you start realizing everything that went on in the past where Amy Adams and Jake Gyllenhaal were you know they were married and they were he was trying to pursue being a writer and she sort of believed in him. Um, and she was kind of trying to pursue her art, but also trying to conform to what everybody else wanted her to be. And uh, you find out about this moment where she leaves him uh and she's pregnant with his child at this point and she has an abortion and it's very uh the abortion because she calls her daughter yeah so that daughter jake as the father in the book with her as susan 
Yeah. I think she's projecting because you have to like when you see what she's reading, it's all going through her brain as to what she's seeing. So like I you can you start to notice things in the book that might be her influence, you know. There's a particular I think it's a photograph that she sees at a at one point in her art gallery or something. And it actually is like recreated as like a setting in the part of the book where like in the book. So it's it's almost like she's just projecting things that have been recently around her into the story world. So I don't think it's a um, I don't think it's actually his daughter. I think she's just imagining her daughter, you know, that way. Like, I believe her and Army Hammer had a child you know, after the Jake thing, but Jake's, Jake's child was aborted. And, um, you know, when you watch, like what I keep going back to is every time I see this movie, I see a little bit more about the metaphors because early on, like the flashbacks that you see with Amy Adams and Jake, uh, She's telling him, I, I really think that you should try not to write about yourself. And he kind of has like a pushback. He's very emotional about his work, which I think is a problem. I do think being overly sensitive about the things that you make and treating them too precious means that you can't. It's not like you can't excrete a bunch of shit and be like, oh, yeah, this is this is the best and and you know somebody says oh well this could be better then you get all hurt but that's kind of where he is at that point in his life he is fragile you know and that's something that his, amy adams's mother sort of brings up um but every time i watch the movie i start to pick up a little bit more about what the metaphors in the book actually are because he is still very much writing about himself it's just now he's cloaked it you know and that speaks to something that i've talked about on this show and on what's the story is the idea of like story engine you know what is it actually about really and this movie does that really well where you know the green car that is next to him when she leaves him uh it's like the same car that ray drives in the novel um, and then Ray has green cowboy boots. Um, you start to see like Isla Fisher, um, Jake Hall's wife in the book as some version of like the idealized version of Amy Adams. And then, you know, the daughter that they have is the baby that was aborted. <clears throat> and you see like Ray has a couple of great moments where he talks about um, he talks about you know Jake Hall has a couple of there's, there's a couple of moments with Jake Hall where he has a gun on Ray and it's like he can't shoot it he can't actually like pull the trigger and Ray kind of chastises him about that towards the end of the movie and I was thinking about that and thinking maybe that's Amy Adams is maybe that's the way that 
Edward, uh, Jake Gyllenhaal's real life character. Maybe that's the way Edward feels about what Susan thought of him before. Like you have this great weapon, your ability to write and you won't pull the trigger. You won't actually like put that into a book, you know, and then him sending her this manuscript designed to kind of tell her in a coded way, this is what you did to me. It's like, that is his weapon. It even cuts her when she first handles, handles it. So the more I watch it, the more I see these levels to it. And I just think it's a brilliant, it's two revenge stories for the price of one. And I watch it and I'm satisfied with like the novel revenge story, but oh my God, when she goes like, she thinks they're rekindling their friendship. She's like, I made a mistake all those years ago. This army hammer dude wants to eat me or whatever the fuck. And uh, maybe that's not in the movie. Maybe that's behind the scenes stuff, but, <laughs> but it's like, he doesn't care about me. He doesn't treat me well. I made a mistake a long time ago. Edward sent me this novel and it's great and it's brilliant. It's devastating. And she's really engrossed in it. And they wind up, it seems like they're going to rekindle something, you know, and maybe she's thinking that this is my way out of my current situation. And watching her go to that restaurant and just sit there and sit there and sit there after, you know, Edward has said, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm, I, you know, I'll meet you there or whatever. And then him just not showing up and just letting her you know, having his own type of revenge, this super cold, he told her everything he needed to tell her in this novel, you know, and that's it. Like, as far as he's concerned, he's, he's dead, he's gone. And I think he's, it's, a, it's an ironic turn of events because he didn't have any pain to write from before. Like, he could not have made a novel that's as moving and painful and devastating as Nocturnal Animals is had she not taught him pain. You know, there's something in that that's... It's just there's a lot of complex emotions going on in this story, and I think that it's not perfectly clean cut resolved and I just I really do find it beautiful and and sad and also kind of thrilling you know um, I really enjoy it so yeah. mine's an A plus plus you fuck <laughs> you fuck <laughs> yeah yeah I don't know just like I hate the rich. And this is a very like affluent movie with just like the art, the rich art scene sprinkled in as a backdrop, and everybody's like got a fucking Frank Lloyd Wright house or whatever. And like I just I just hate everybody in this movie inherently, and I, I do that. <laughs> 
uh, just, you know, it, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's a, it's a perfectly good movie. Mm-hmm. Like it's well put together and stuff. Uh, yeah. It's just like very white, very rich. Yeah. And, uh, all the brown people are secretaries and waitresses. And I was just like, man, okay. It's a Maybe that's not totally intentional, but uh, <coughs> I feel like I'm. I feel like I'm losing uh, audio quality rapidly. Uh, sorry. Uh, just you're saying maybe it's not intentional. Yeah, but it's just you know. I noticed it. You know. Yeah. Well, I notice it more now too. <clears throat> like, kind of having done this show with you, it's it's much more. Like I'm, I'm much more aware of those things as I'm watching it, and even <clears throat> like even things where like Michael Shannon's character's name sounds like a Hispanic name. Yeah. And I'm like, Hmm, is he supposed to be Spanish? Because <laughs> Michael Shannon doesn't seem very Spanish to me, you know? Um, he gave him a mustache. Yeah. Yeah. Wouldn't that be, that's yeah. They'll give him like a sombrero. <laughs> You're like yeah see spanish you know mexican no i i i don't know i mean i i sort of <clears throat> it's weird because that's a very valid criticism of the movie you know and not really a defensible one there's really no reason for that to be the case um there's no if it makes you feel better, all of these people are terrible. So <laughs> it's kind of saying white people are terrible. Maybe he didn't want to cast a black like I was trying to think of like if he cast a black guy in the movie, who he would play. And I was thinking about it and I'm like, well, he would either have to be I mean, you know, with, with the Spanish guy to be the sheriff. Just like any. Uh, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know, I know, I know what you're saying. I understand what you're saying. What I'm saying is that keeping the core cast that he has, like Jake Joan Hall, Amy Adams, keeping them the same. And then you go, who could you have cast as like a black person? It's like, well, if you use, if you give Jake Joan Hall's novel uh, character, Tony, if you give Tony a black wife, then maybe the audience doesn't connect her to Amy Adams as much, which is tough. And then the only other spots that are open are either the murdering rapist or Army Hammer, who is a cheating cannibal, let's be honest. So, like, both of those options kind of suck. You know, it's like when when they go, oh, we want to do more diversity in superhero movies, and then like, like it, like like you, you go, you want more diversity in superhero movies, and what are the what are the spots that are open usually 
they they start being like, oh, this villain will will make this villain black, or we'll make this a vi- villain Hispanic, or we'll make. It's like, yeah, but like, do a good guy that way. Like, it's all it's all programmed. You know, the fucking CIA is working with Disney to make all this stuff. Listen, it's not a conspiracy episode. Brain, Calm down. Brain. <laughs> I mean, yeah, no, it's it's, it's real, man. But it's like all when the big media shit, it's like way too much money going into that stuff for it not to be, uh, yeah, tainted. You know? When we watched the Batman, you started to see, like, oh, look, Gordon's black, oh, look, Catwoman's black, and they're playing her more heroic Robin Hood than villain. That you're being like, oh, like you start to see like those shifts, which is what I'm talking about. But it used to be there was a period of like. 10 years where anytime they tried to do diversity it was always like oh we'll make the villain the black guy <laughs> you know, you're like okay oh, i see what you're doing <laughs> yeah yeah it's not as subtle as you think it is um speaking of villains uh aaron taylor johnson as ray the serial killer yeah in this quicksilver, movie right quicksilver kick-ass um, soon to be Craven the Hunter. <laughs> um, well, I mean, I guess I don't know. He looks beefy as shit right now. Like he, I think he's working out like a fucking madman for Craven. Um, I just, I just don't want to see any more fucking Sony villain movies, man. Like I'm <laughs> at all. I, I just don't want to. No, I totally agree because I don't think they. Um, I I just they don't they're they, not they're coming not, from a good place you know what I mean yeah, exactly. they're not coming from a we really want to make a Craven the Hunter movie they're coming from a we really want to make a buck and I don't I don't appreciate it yeah but yeah look at this fucking dude like, all right we we don't have Spider Man so uh, what else can we milk I was like yeah. skeptical when they cast him as Craven the Hunter but like that dude looks like he put on twenty to thirty pounds. Oh yeah, but still, like, I can just see him and see the plainest movie ever. I also am like fully expecting because of how much like Russophobia has taken hold because of Vladimir Putin doing Vladimir Putin things. Like I'm oh, fully God. expecting Sony to be like, "Oh, we have canceled the Craven the Hunter movie because his name is Sergey." Uh, well, like if they have him do a fucking Russian accent again no they're gonna they're gonna rewrite this whole thing and they're gonna have aaron taylor johnson play an american craven the hunter or something he's gonna be an ex-military fucking yeah. badass or whatever yeah Ugh. yeah fucking yeah. whatever no i mean I, I i think it would be only fair to have him be his russian version but i also i i i mean i would be I would not be surprised with how much the Russian people as a group have just been scapegoated, you know, and included in all of this fucking nonsense. I would not be surprised if they were like, we're canceling the Craven the Hunter movie because we stand with Ukraine. And it's like, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> like, what, what are you doing? Um, but anyways, I, uh, not that standing with, look, I'm not saying standing with Ukraine is a bad thing. I'm saying that just <laughs> erasing Russian people from existence is. Understand? 
that is a bad thing. Not good. Um, but yeah, Aaron Taylor Johnson in this movie, I mean, I never really thought that much of him as an actor. Um, and like, oh my God, Godzilla. Like when he was in Godzilla, I'm like, this is the most boring shit ever. I don't like it. I don't want it. You don't even remember him, right? You don't, don't even remember him. Yeah. I so. don't remember Godzilla its entirety except for him spewing down the fucking bug's mouth. Dude, him and uh so so Aaron Taylor Johnson and uh Elizabeth Olsen played brother and sister in the Marvel movies the same like a year maybe no maybe the same year that Godzilla came out where they played husband and wife which was like a funny little joke for anybody that reads the comics because it was sort of like a, oh <laughs> I see what you did there other movie you know I get the implication um but like I never really thought that much of him as an actor the first time I watched so every time I watch this movie um he is so goddamn terrifying like the entire way through and he's so it's so effortless with how intimidating he is in that scene where he like runs the family off the side of the road and like he's so all over the place and it feels like he's caught like it feels like he's constantly switching up his approach and you're never you never feel like you can get a good footing with him and understand what he's saying or what he's doing because one second he's like we're gonna help you you know we'll change your tire for you to show you that there's no hard feelings and then a second later he's like so you're the kind of guy that thinks he can just hit somebody on the road and just drive away you know and it's like that uneasiness that he brings to it is i i really liked it i i thought he did such a good job with this yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, he was a good spooky bad guy, but yeah, I don't know. It, it, it feels like a cookie cutter kind of, you know, revenge story or something. Uh, yeah, he plays a good bad guy. I mean, him as a bad guy feels not not like not incredibly unique but i guess at least well seen he he feels like a i i heard him talk about envisioning ray as like a wannabe rock star and i feel like all of that is there with like style choice and the long hair like he feels like um like a hyper realized version of like those 70s serial killers that you hear about and everybody says oh ted bundy was handsome you know it's like that kind of vibe to him where he thinks he's hot shit you know um and i like some of the little details like the there's a couple shots of him just wringing his fingers on the uh roof of jake Hall's car and you can see that he has this like little like fakey plastic uh, ring with a pink jewel in it. It's very obvious, like a little girl's ring that she got out of like a 25 cent machine or something. Just these little subtle hints to 
even before you know that things are about to go horrendously wrong, it's this little subtle hint of this guy's history and sort of what he is about. Um, it's really haunting. Very, very unnerving. Yeah. I guess it's like the, the drama didn't like land for me. Uh, just because it was, I don't know, I, I, I guess I sort of anticipated a lot of what was like going to happen. Like yeah. as it was happening, and yeah. Uh, yeah, it was just like kind of by the numbers, you know. And there's like tension with them, like milking when they put them in the car, but like you kind of know, and like the stuff that they did to kind of occupy that time didn't really like engage me enough. Like hmm. somebody picked up a rock like clock somebody or something like that like it just it felt like uh you know mm. there wasn't very much like physical like tension you know well i mean uh, i think that you know in terms of the novel that edward's writing he's writing almost a seeming parody of what people thought about him back yeah. then this like completely ineffectual um, man, you know, a man of no consequences, no man at all. And essentially this is somebody that lived that life and now through great pain has asserted himself in the world with this novel. And the novel kind of tells the same story of a guy that literally just stood there while all of this terrible shit happened in front of him and now he like look even at the end of the novel he still has those moments where um, like what ray says at the end of the the at the end of the novel that you uh oh you and that gun that you don't know how to shoot because there's been several times where tony has had this gun on this guy and things have gone wrong and he just stood there it's like he really isn't he really hasn't gotten there yet. And it's not until that last moment where he actually does fire and, you know, Ray is completely caught off guard and winds up being like son of a bitch and goes to swing with at the Adam with the uh, like fire poker. And then Tony shoots him again and ultimately kills him. But it's like, as a viewer watching it, like I, t I totally understand what you're saying. But I think in service to the greater story, I'm totally okay with him just standing there being like, oh, but look, we don't have to, we can like, let's, we can, we'll work this out and everything. And like not being able to escalate it. I know when I watched it the first time, I <clears throat> was watching it with my girlfriend at the time. And I remember that moment is totally gut wrenching when the white the, his wife and his daughter run and jump in the car and they try to call him to get in the car too so that they can escape and these guys just pile in the vehicle and drive off with them into the night and the way that it's edited with it's like fast-paced motion and the audio and then you start to hear the scream of the women in the car realizing holy shit you know we're in trouble and then the way that the audio just cuts out and they just show Jake Gyllenhaal like watching 
as his family gets driven away into the night. I remember watching it the first time and I, I got up like we were just sitting there watching it on the couch. I got up and I was fucking fuming mad. I was so upset. And my girlfriend was like a little bit confused about it. But to me, it felt almost like you're in a, you're contractually, I I feel like I'm contractually obligated that if things are going to go wrong, that I should do something about it. I should try to help. I should try to stop it from occurring. Yeah. And watching him. And I told her like in that moment, I'm like those two guys, he was talking to Ray and the two guys are down on the ground fixing the car. And like, he should have just jumped towards those two guys, smashed their heads into the car and then sucker punched Ray and then taken it from there. Like, a crowbar, you just slide that shit out of his hand, stab him in the face, bite somebody's nose off, just fucking get Something. some blood going. Save your family, save your family yeah. because they trust you. They trust you to take take care of them, and that's like an unspoken agreement, and it's old fashioned, but that's sort of the idea. Like as a guy, like as 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 men we are expendable creatures. You know what I mean? Like we, we don't matter all that much. And that's why we were sent out to hunt woolly mammoths and stuff, because if we got stomped, stomped to death, the tribe would be fine. It didn't matter. You know, you have one guy in a tribe and you have a civilization, you know what I mean? You don't need more than one guy in a tribe for a civilization to flourish. So like we are expendable. So in a situation like that, that means you're either going to beat them and protect your family or you're going to die trying. And I think watching it and watching him viscerally fucking fail, it was gut-wrenching and devastating for me. And then even like they bring him out into the desert and they drop him off and they come back later. And like, look, you know that those guys are lying. They're they're calling for him. Like, oh, your wife wants to talk to you, you know, and all this stuff. You know it's a lie. You know what happened. You know that she's gone already. And like, even still, it's like an additional level of shame of him just deciding to hide, you know. And it, uh, on a very... When you first, like, sees him, like... What's that? Like the vibe I get off of Michael Shannon when he like first shows up mm-hmm. is just like, look at this piece of shit. You just yep. like watch this fucking family die, and like you, and you didn't do anything. You like open the truck, et cetera, et cetera. And he's just like, I don't know. Like you can tell he kind of hates, or it seems like he hates Jake Gyllenhaal when he like first meets him, yeah. uh, as he's like telling him like this tragic story or whatever about him not doing anything i mean it's a very it's you know it's a you're looking on him almost like this pitiful creature you know and this kind of you know a sorry excuse for a man you know and i think 
you know, I don't know if the if Michael Shannon's character, if he was always as um, stoic and you know, kind of a certified badass as he is in this story, but you feel like he's cut from an entirely different cloth than uh, Tony, you know, and. I mean, I've heard people talk about that metaphor thing as potentially Michael Shannon, the Bobby character, is like the the voice that Edward would have constructed in his head to encourage him to write Nocturnal Animals. Like, hey, how, you know, how far are you willing to go to see justice done? Are you going to write this thing? Are you going to tell her that she killed you? You know, are you going to get your revenge or are you just going to let people walk all over you? And like, that's, it's almost like, I think there's two versions of Edward in the novel. I think there's Tony and I think there's Bobby, uh, the Michael Shannon character. Just like, I think there's two versions of Susan in the novel. There's Tony's wife and I think uh, Ray, because I think Ray Ray ultimately is responsible for killing Tony's wife and his daughter. So in that way, what did Susan do? Susan killed the person that Edward thought he was in love with and then also killed his unborn child. So I think Ray is Susan as well, you know? Um, and I think that that's why you get to the end of that story and like he, he has, I think he's embellishing and he's fictionalizing, but I also think that given what we know about Edward's character and how he is emotionally fragile and stuff, it's not all that strange for his interpretation of events you know ray says at the end of the novel like it's fun to kill people and it's not all that strange for edward the edward that we know to in his pain and suffering be thinking like why did she do that you know like does she just enjoy killing people is that why she killed my child you know like it, it it's not strange for that to occur occur as a thought process in his head and then also when Tony's holding the gun on Ray and he says, um, nobody gets to do what you did and get away with it. It's like he's talking directly to Susan, you know, and it's like it's so it's so good. It's just like for me, what I like about it is because I like to write and because ultimately what my writing has turned into is a lot of that same stuff of what am I afraid of what's hurt me and how do I put that into the underlying layer and the underlying structures of what I'm writing so for me I connect with this movie on that level very much yeah you know? it's definitely well written you know yeah it's like tight it's a tight movie yeah, it doesn't feel like there's too much extra. There's not there's not that much waste in it. I think some of it is like the only really wasted moments 
might be in Susan's like day to day life, but I think they do serve the the overall narrative, the themes. Yeah, her seeing the painting of uh, revenge on the wall and getting like kind of looking at it like it's the first time she's seen it you know but it's like it's almost like her brain kind of telling her like that's what's coming you know um yeah i don't yeah. know also yeah it's was, it was just like uh Yeah, I, don't know. I want to say that the score for this movie is also like a thing of like real raw beauty too. I I every time I hear the music from this movie, I'm like, whoa. It's it it. it's perfect. It's perfect. I was comparing it to when I was watching it this time, I was comparing it in terms of capturing a mood to Joker to that score. Joker captures this like completely downtrodden, heavy. Oh, what was the song they used though for the fucking staircase scene? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) They should have used that in Nocturnal Animals too. Um, Stupid, stupid fucking. It was Gary Glitter who also. It was a big controversy because I guess he tried to like fuck a fourteen-year-old or some shit. And they were like, why are we celebrating this guy's movie, this guy's music in Joker? Uh, it was a big controversy. Also, it's just like the most fucking played out like song ever. Like if there's a song I've heard too many times, it's that one. Like every Listen. fucking football game for the last 30 years, at least. Yeah, like, but teenage girls love it. So <laughs> it's ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> All right, no, besides that, I'm talking about Hildur Gutenatard. Is that her name? Uh, That did the score for Joker? Um, I mean, her fucking fucking musical score for that movie is, uh, yeah, Hildur. I'm not, I can't, I I feel like that first version was the best that I'm going to get. Gutenatard? I don't know. Uh, German composer. She did great music for that. Um, and then whoever did the music for Nocturnal Animals, I don't, I haven't looked at too much of their, uh, you know, what else they've, they've done, but um, it ca- they, they did a really good job of capturing like a romantic, uh, Abel Korzeniowski. Um, did a really good job of capturing a kind of tragic romantic vibe through the music. And then they're able to do other things too. Like in the context of the novel, a lot of it is more genre E. So the music kind of switches to more of like thriller crime movie sort of vibes, but the actual, the music for, the film outside of the novel feels more maybe of a Amy Adams-esque perspective, you know, sort of like where she is in her life and maybe even an, an Edward perspective too, because there's a sense of 
this like a bittersweet revenge in it there's a there's romance and tragedy and then also this bittersweet vengeance that permeates through that music and uh yeah it gets me every time that music in combination with amy adams just sitting in that fucking restaurant at the end of the movie just like wow it is mm, like awesome it's like worth the price of admission <laughs> it's yeah, funny because i, mean, I have I just finished watching it and like yeah all of it was just kind of like it didn't rain out you talked about being tired you know and like <laughs> that has an effect on your viewing experience For i think sure. but I this think, is also just like not my style of movie sure know? sure but i mean that i i don't know i mean that that whole final uh scene every time i watch it i'm just like what a you know, he he does a he does a good job of like time lapsing that sequence so that he doesn't have to have anybody explain anything or Amy Adams like texting and being like, "I thought you said you were going to be here. Where are you?" You know, it's been two hours or some fucking shit. He just lets it. He just shows it, and he just shows it, and it it's just this great moment of like this sweeping epic vengeance and and disregard for her and it's oh god it's a lot i i i really i I love the movie i really do but i understand your criticisms um i don't respect them but i understand them (laughs) i uh yeah i'm just looking for weirder stuff i guess in my like consuming content like if i'm gonna go human drama anything i'm just gonna watch king of the hill what i'm just gonna watch king of the hill oh okay all right yeah that's not bad it's a good move also set in texas you know yeah that's uh, that's texas content I'm it's a it's a through line it's a through line I wonder if there's any any deeper connections between nocturnal animals and maybe they're in the same universe. There's got to be something that ties them all together, right? Oh, Texas, yeah. <laughs> yeah, maybe Bobby grows up to turn into Aaron Taylor Johnson's character. This is a bunch <laughs> of late comedy career doesn't work out. You know what I liked the 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 Ray thing is when they're uh, when. Tony is like, maybe we should exchange information or whatever. And he's like, okay, okay. And he's like, yeah, let's exchange information. Uh, I like long walks on the beach, you know, and, yeah, you know, something ice. else and kittens, you know, and it's like, oh my God, just that moment. And the way that Aaron Taylor Johnson plays it, he just seems like he just, he's reveling in his having of the upper hand, you know, um, he was actually one of the people that was talked about for the Batman as uh, if Robert Pattinson said no, they might have gone with him. And I could, I could, I could see it, you know. Yeah. But yeah, probably had a similar reaction to it if it was him, if not even less favorable. 
Um, yeah, so sorry that I showed you a great movie. I won't do it again. Right. I, uh, <laughs> it's nice that you don't do it again. <laughs> I won't. I won't. Trust me. From here on out, it's schlock. Yeah, schlock dude. as far as the eye can see. Yeah, I don't. I don't need any of this highfalutin fucking movie stuff. Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> what are we gonna well, do with you, Alves? What hey, I need fun, do? man. Fucking world sucks. I'm black, and it sucks. I don't want to see rich white people complain about abortions. Right. It's called being pro-choice, bro. <laughs> Fuck off. Her body, her choice. Am I'm I right? sure. I'm sure oh, he's. Columbia? Fuck you guys. Well, look, Paying he's a... five thousand dollars a year for your education. He's Casual. a very, very sensitive man. So I'm sure that as oh, a very yeah. sensitive man, as a concept abortion, he probably is like, yeah, you know what? Ladies should be able to do what they want with their bodies. But as an emotional man, he's like, she killed my baby. I'm going to write an entire novel. That's what an abortion is, bro. Well, it's different when it's your baby, right? Isn't it? Like, what if, like, it is different. It is different. Because, like, what if you, like, like, for instance, there's probably. If you're in a relationship like that, there should be an agreement from the jump that if something like that happens, she at least gets. What last say? What is she? Oh, at least, did I cut out at that. You, of at course, you did. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But I, I mean, I think that that's a pretty human reaction. Like, for instance, I can think of like a bunch of conservative men that are like, no to abortions, no to abortions. But if they found out they knocked up their, if they found out they knocked up their girlfriend, they'd be like, get rid of it, get rid oh, of it now. Yeah. <laughs> We do, and they're yeah. generally like black girlfriends and like Spanish girlfriends, so they can just you know mutilate. You always like, like, I try to have like a podcast where <laughs> hey man, we talk about. I, I was just coming out for a guest spot for a little bit, and then it we... just snowballed into me filling in for John, and now you know you're getting raw. Hey, look. Uh, unfiltered Ryan. I just wanted, I just try to have a podcast where we talk about fictional movies very, very seriously. I did not want to talk about real things that are actual problems in the world very seriously. I don't appreciate you bringing this level of reality, truth, and <laughs> sound reasoning opinions. Like, I don't appreciate it. Okay, that's not what this show is. Okay, sorry, I start getting just smashed before each episode, so I'm just incoherent and ridiculous. Speaking wildly out of turn, I know. Look, exactly. this isn't a place for like truth and reality. Okay, it's, <laughs> all right. <laughs> Trying to do a show. <laughs> Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's crazy actually I, I guess i uh i didn't really realize that was that this was that that was what this movie was about until i had just had that sentence yeah yeah and i was like oh yeah i mean like 
I guess Jake Gyllenhaal, like, not for a choice. So, I mean, yeah. I don't he's an think emotional he should... man, et cetera, et cetera. It was just a funny... Uh, <laughs> he is an emotional man. Further <laughs> disengaging, you know, of, like, me feeling any kind of empathy for this guy. Yeah, but I don't think... I, I don't think that you... No, I, I, I don't think that that's what... He, he is he is pro not having his baby murdered which i mean i think that's a reasonable position you know what i mean i, I don't think that you could say that I mean, that's but i i don't think, think that you could about it. i don't think that you could draw a it's conclusion about his be. political stance based on his reaction no. to yeah like i i don't think the movie is like is being like abortions are wrong i don't think that that's what this movie is about (laughs) okay (laughs) no it's just like as a motivation just made me further like not engage with uh all of these affluent uh and i think it's a it's a question you know i mean it's obviously it's (laughs) it's a tough thing to grapple with like as you don't as a man you don't get the to have like a a say in that decision necessarily you can say that please don't kill the baby but if she doesn't want to have your baby then that's kind of it it's not really much that you can do except write a very pithy metaphorical novel and not a lot of men are willing to commit and that's pretty much the only thing that you can do you know um and i mean that's a that's better than any alternative i mean sitting there and writing out your feelings is probably a good thing you know it's better than going to the mall with a semi you know it's it's better that you know what i mean like there are worse things that jake Hall could have done than call his wife's (laughs) abortion bill or something you know he could have done something terrible. Instead, he called his ex-wife Susan a bitch in no less than twenty thousand words. You know, and I think that that's I think that that's reasonable. You know, that's fine. That's a good healthy. I'm so mad about it. It's all right. It's fine. You know. <laughs> you know, I get it. Sometimes you got to write a thirty thousand word, uh, you know, in speech just about how much uh you've been wounded that's right well i mean i think it's important to remember i think it's important to remember that he's he is an emotional man you know and (laughs) and that's emotional man (laughs) wait we're gonna watch the wailing next week all right so i don't i haven't seen it yet this is a movie that Ryan's putting out there that he wants to talk about. And I'm going to say that it's, uh, you know, it's fine. I'm going to give it a C. Easy so, peasy. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, revenge is a dish best served. Hey, people. I just want to let you all know I'm very excited about Ron Beak. 3.com so that's ron beek b-e-e-k i-i-i dot com um you know i took some time to revamp the website 
There's a lot of interesting things. It's like a central hub. There's a page about WT Fada. There's a page about comics. It's all sorts of stuff. So go check it out and tell me that I sent you. Uh, mm. Huh.